Man, our, our heart at Mac is, we talk about this a lot, embracing and extending the life-changing grace and truth of Jesus. And, and what I think that song does a wonderful job setting that up. We're not just here to learn some things or to do a religious activity. We want to experience his transforming presence and power. Amen? And, and that starts with embracing. So there's a personal decision to say, I want all that God has for me. I don't want to miss out on anything that he wants to do in me. That's step one. But the extending part is saying, it's not just about me. It's about what God wants to do through me in the lives of others. And we believe that as, as a church, when we do that, when we commit to this personal decision part, but also to extending what God has blessed us with, we will grow and more people will be added to his family. And speaking of that, last part, we're celebrating baptisms today. I've shared this, yeah, I've shared this before. This is the highlight for me of our times together. Through the whole year, if I think about all of our gathered times, baptism is it for me. Um, I, I love this, this picture of people stepping out in faith, following Jesus, identifying with him in his death, but then experiencing his resurrection life and being added to a community of believers who are following him. It doesn't get any better for me. Um, and I was thinking about how much is wrapped up in baptism, all of the meaning and significance. But I also was thinking about someone who's new to all of this. Someone who's never seen baptism before might have some reasonable questions. Uh, for example, we go down to McClay Flat every year as a church. We go and we celebrate baptisms at the Bitterroot River. And every year I notice at least one person, usually a couple people, who are like, what is going on? Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't blame them. I'm usually praying for them in my heart. I'm like, God, use this somehow, right? Let them not think we're a weird cult. But they're looking at us like, what is happening? And, and honestly, because we, we have a tub in our stage filled with water. And, and, and people go down into the water, and then one person shoves another down under and holds them there for a second. And then they come up out of the water looking surprisingly happy considering what just took place. And then everyone cheers. So honestly, this week I was like, what is this? Why do we do it? Why is it such a celebration? Many of you, uh, when we talk about baptism and you're trying to you know, mentally do a biblical sort of survey, most of our minds, I think, probably go to the beginning of the New Testament. In the very beginning of the Gospels, we, we meet Jesus, of course, and, but even before Jesus, we meet John the Baptist, as he's referenced and referred to. He's uh, baptizing to prepare the way for Jesus. And I wanted to look briefly at a few verses from that first chapter of John. If you have a Bible and want to turn to John 1, you can. Uh, but in this chapter, John the Baptist is baptizing people. People are coming to him from all around to the Jordan River. They're wading out into the river, and John is, is baptizing them. But the religious leaders get wind of what's going on, and so they send a group to basically <laughs> interrogate John. In John 1, verse 19, I'll read this. Uh, it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Verse 20, John freely confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, who then? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. <laughs> so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, 
I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 25, they asked him, why then are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. And we'll stop there for our time. But as you keep reading, you discover very quickly the one to whom he's referring is who? Jesus. Jesus, the one that Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, we see would come not baptizing with water, but baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire the purifying, sanctifying, invigorating presence of God himself poured out upon us. But I want us to notice in these verses we just read, first of all, that John did not invent baptism. You know, I just kind of (laughs) made light of how bizarre it is. He didn't invent baptism. It didn't start here in the beginning of the Gospels. Otherwise, the religious leaders would have said, what are you doing, right? But they knew what he was doing. They wanted to know who gave him permission. Who gave him authority to be baptizing? And part of the reason for this is that the Jews, for hundreds of years, they had had some form of baptism. Uh, Water was significant in their faith. There were ceremonial washings and ways that they sort of cleansed themselves. But also, baptism was the way that a Gentile, a non-Jew, someone who was outside that faith, would enter into the Jewish faith. There was a self-administered baptism where you'd go into the water and come up out, and that demonstrated your willingness to leave behind your old life, your Gentile life, and your desire to join the Jewish people. And that makes sense, but, but based on that definition and that reality that the Jews lived in, you can imagine the only group that never considered getting baptized were Jews. They, they were in. They were already part. There would be no reason for them to be baptized. But this is a powerfully significant moment in history and a redefinition of the meaning of baptism. Because Matthew tells us people from all around, Gentiles and Jews, were coming to John and being baptized in the river. Here's what it says in Matthew uh, 3, verse 5. Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Picture that. For a Jew to be baptized in this context would be to admit, I am as far from God as a Gentile. I am as much in need of his forgiveness and his cleansing and his salvation as the worst of sinners. And so John, you can see here, is leveling the playing field to prepare the way for Jesus to do what Jesus was about to do. And I think part of the reason that John was so effective and people were coming out to him, at least I think, is his invitation to people. In Matthew 3, verse 2, listen to what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Some translations say it's at hand. It's it's right here. The kingdom of heaven is here. And repent, those of you who don't know, um, I'm sure we've all heard the word, it means simply to turn away. Whatever direction you were going, Whatever plans you had, cancel them. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. See the emphasis in this? When we hear repent, I think many of us focus on this sort of judgmental um, allegation, you know. Kind of the pointing out, you are doing everything wrong, you need to stop doing wrong. But if you'll notice in these initial 
invitations to the crowds, that's not John's emphasis. That's not Jesus' emphasis. It's not God's heart. Jesus in one place said, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And so you see the emphasis is, turn, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Imagine that an amazing event was coming to Missoula that I was convinced everyone should be at. Like, everyone's got to be at this. And I was going to invite and tell you, I would not bother trying to figure out where you were all coming from. Like, you leave your house, and then you'll, you'll need to leave work, and then you, you should cancel plans with your friend. I don't care. Whatever direction you're going, whatever plans you had, cancel them, because this is going to be more than worth it. And I think sometimes repent can come across as this backwards pushing, condemn, condemning message when really it's a hopeful message. Turn, because this vision of living in God's presence and power and knowing his purpose for your life and being all that he made you to be, is there anything better than that? The answer is no. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is near. But John does say that the people came, as they were being baptized, they came confessing their sins. Every one of us knows we have things to leave behind, right? Not the least of which is our own kingdom, our own supremacy. There may be, there may be priorities that we need to reconsider. There may be habits we need to surrender to God. There may be, even be relationships. We all have things to leave behind, but whatever it is, it's worth it. There is nothing better than entering into the kingdom and walking with the God who made you. And so John is baptizing people. People are confessing. And as amazing as this is, John freely admits this is nothing compared to what Jesus is going to do. And I've already referenced Matthew 3 where John says, I baptize with water, but man, Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, baptism was a very specific and unique activity that directly foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do. After the interrogation with the religious leaders. Here's how John put it. I think it's significant. He said, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water so that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. So there's something unique about the act of baptism that pointed to what Jesus was going to do. And John was convinced that Jesus was the one to do this. In the very next verse in this same chapter, he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Something I want us to understand, we've spent our time here in the beginning of the New Testament of the Bible, but this marvelous work that Jesus came to do and continues to do today was not out of the blue. This was written about for hundreds of years in the Old Testament by the prophets. One example of this is the book of Joel was written 900 years before Jesus was born. And this is what God says there. There's coming a day when, quote, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now, if that sounds like weird language to you, translation, there will be a spiritual awakening where we'll see what God sees, where we'll love what God loves the way we were made to. 
He goes on to say, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That was one of the most radical twists in baptism is it wasn't just this Jewish thing. It was for everyone. No matter what your past, your background, your baggage, you can enter into the kingdom of God and receive his Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And you hear in this the language of baptism. I will pour out. I will pour out my spirit. Now, if you read Acts chapter 2, you know that these words were, were fulfilled in the early church. But more, uh, I think more profoundly, it signified a whole new way of God relating to people. A, a new, as the Bible puts it, a new covenant. A new agreement. This is, this is how we're going to be connected not by you trying really hard to do all the right things or check all the boxes or stay close to me, but I'm going to give you my spirit. And because of the work Jesus did at the cross, we can have him in us. This is the way that Ezekiel chapter 36, another Old Testament prophet, God talks about the new covenant and he promises this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. I could spend a lot of time this morning referencing example after example in the Old Testament of God pouring out his presence. He says, I'm going to pour myself out on you. Not only causing us to walk in his ways but bringing a blessing and a fulfillment and a fruitfulness that we've never experienced or known before. This is the way that Isaiah in chapter 32 of Isaiah, he describes the messiness of their situation as a field that is overgrown with thorns. He says, a quote, the happiness is gone. Have you ever been able to relate to that? And he says, this reality will continue, quote, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field produces rich crops. And guys, I believe many of these Old Testament passages have some literal fulfillment. The actual land will bear the fruit God caused it to bear, but God's talking about our hearts right here. He's talking about our lives, because if you read the very next verse, this fertile field that Isaiah's talking about, he doesn't say, and then vegetables and, and produce and, and fruit grew out of it. Here's what he says of this fertile field in verse 16 of that chapter. Justice will rule in the wilderness, and righteousness in the fertile field, and this righteousness will bring peace. So he's talking about the experience of our lives that the pouring out of God's presence totally transforms. This is what baptism represents. Being joined to Jesus, being part of his family, experiencing the resurrection life and the transforming power that we were made for. The word baptize, that Greek word literally means to submerge or overwhelm. I think that is a beautiful picture of being swallowed up in the life of God. The old passes away, the new comes. And I think it's so significant to emphasize how dramatic this moment of salvation is that baptism signifies. Because I think for some people that I've talked to, baptism is this sort of religious activity like, I should probably be baptized, like get my life back on track, have a fresh start, that might kind of help me with some things in my life. 
That's not what baptism is biblically. Baptism signifies going from death to life, being a whole, becoming a whole new creation. And it's the moment that we enter the kingdom of God as new creations. Remember, that's what John invited people to do, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But man, I think the, the heavy question is, how do we enter? In John 3, Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. He comes to him at night with some questions, primarily about the kingdom. How do I get into the kingdom? He's a respected leader. He's a religious figure. And he wants to know about the kingdom of God. And, and it occurred to me that Jesus could have said to this respected leader, you're good to go. You're a religious leader, right? You're a Jew. People respect you. You attend all of the services, don't you? Don't you give to the poor? You're a good person generally, right, Nicodemus? Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know why you came to me. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He gets right to the point with Nicodemus in verse 3 of John 3, and he says, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That word again means from above. And it's, I think we can agree, we've all been born here below, if you will, right? We're all here on earth, but have you been born from above? Has God's spirit come to live in you? to produce his life in you. That's what it means to be Christian. Christianity is not trying to make bad people better. It's making dead people alive. It's dramatic transformation that takes place. And Jesus says there are no amount of worship services that you can attend that will bring the dead to life. There's no amount of money you can give. It is a miracle performed by God's spirit. But how is that miracle performed? Do I just sit and wait for it to happen? No, because later on in that same conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus shares these well-known and often quoted words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. You will cross over from death to life. And After John completed his ministry of baptism and Jesus began his ministry in John chapter 7, Jesus was at this Jewish feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating God's presence with his people. And he stood up on the last day of the feast and in a loud voice, he said this, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, John tells us, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Guys, I hope you can hear these words, not at Jesus 2,000 years ago talking to a crowd, but the living God speaking to you today. Are you thirsty? Do you long for an experience of life that has so far seemed out of reach for you? That's what Jesus is offering us. Do we have rivers of living water? The experience of God's presence overflowing in our lives. Friends, sobering reality is many in the church today are not actually born again. I think that they're, they're showing up. They're doing their best. They're attending. They're playing the part. But friends, Jesus wants us to have abundant life, the Bible says. 
And that only comes when we put our trust personally in the person of Jesus and we enter into personal relationship with this God. He comes and lives in us. That's what baptism represents. You do not need to uh, attend a certain amount of worship services or give money or clean up your life. Jesus says, come as you are, believe in me, and you will cross over from death to life. So that's what we're going to celebrate um, and the significance of doing this together, the Bible says multiple times that we are baptized into Christ. You could read that in Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 3. But it also says we are baptized into the body of Christ, into the people of God. I love 1 Corinthians 12, for we are baptized by one spirit and we form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, man or woman, young or old, doesn't matter what your past is. And, and Paul goes on to say there are many parts. We're made up of a really diverse bunch of experiences and gifts and all of those things, but we are one because of his spirit. We're baptized into his body, and so baptism is a public demonstration of a personal decision to follow Jesus. It's obedience. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, what's the first thing he said to do? Baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have several that are scheduled to come be baptized. Um, and if you want to be baptized, we're opening up to anyone who wants to do that today. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, but do I, is there like a, a waiting period? Do I need like a, to take a class? <laughs> and I'll just say that's not anywhere in the New Testament. No, all over, uh, example after example, I wrote some of them down here, Lydia and her household in Acts 16, um, Cornelius and his relatives, the Ethiopian eunuch, Crispus and his household, Acts 18, 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2. In every one of those instances, they were baptized immediately after believing in Jesus. And I don't think that's some legalistic requirement. You've got to be baptized as fast as possible, but it certainly means no one should be kept from being baptized who genuinely, genuinely wants to follow Jesus.